Welcome to the Jay Larock Show. I am your host, Jay Larock. We are powered by Obsolete Gamer and the Mascot Studios Podcast Network. You can find this podcast on Himalaya, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else podcasts are found. Whether you are fresh out of school or trying to start a new career, navigating the treacherous waters of the labor market can be a daunting task. Stephanie Heath is a career development coach who has helped people find their path to career fulfillment with tips and insight on interviewing, networking, negotiating salary, and more. For the first in our professional and personal improvement series, we sat down with Stephanie to discuss how to go about finding that perfect career, no matter what your age, and how to secure that work-life balance so many are searching for. We began by asking Stephanie to talk about her background and the skills and experience she brings to her role. Yeah, um, so I am currently a career coach and founder of Soul Work in Six Figures. Um, basically, I have a signature program where I work with job seekers, typically corporate job seekers, um, find a soul aligned, aka dream position, either in five weeks or 10 weeks. Um, and prior to that, I was just a recruiter, head of recruitment and recruiter for various organizations. So what does that mean like for someone to find like that, that soul alignment? Is it more particular to just finding the perfect job that works for them or is it more monetary or is it a combination of both? It's definitely a combination of both. Um, so I work with each person to figure out, you know, what, what do they go to college for? Did they give up on that dream? You know, what, what do they, what kind of role do they want that they don't even talk to their friends and family about because it seems so out there. Um, and then we just look at their transferable skills. We look at the career they've built up so far and then we attack it. Um, and as you mentioned, uh, what goes into that is making sure that they get an offer that's, um, I like to call it the top of the range. So a company will have a, um, a range of, a range of um, salary they can offer. And we usually ask for the top. We ask for a little bit more than that so that when they negotiate down, they're still getting a top of the range offer. And then the other piece is just, you know, coworkers feeling like family, the work-life balance being there, et cetera. That's interesting because uh, especially with the work-life balance and finding a job that you care about, I see that uh, a lot of people, especially younger people who make up most of our audience here, is they're looking for something that is more balanced for that. Uh, it seemed like even before, like maybe people who grew up like in the 80s or something, they were still looking for like the maximum dollar amount. Of course, this is general, but a lot more people nowadays don't wanna have that stressful feeling. But at the same time, they still see the trappings of just everyday life, you know, getting a technology, having vacations. How do you bridge those two where someone may not be sure about going deep into a corporate environment where they may make a lot of money, but they also want to have that relaxing environment where they can have that work-life balance? Yeah. And I, and I actually see that a lot. I see that the same with um, younger millennials and Gen Zers. Uh, they're really focused on just quality of life, being happy, um, working at something there where there's a bit of purpose. Um, and so we don't, you know, we don't give up all of that. So what I, what I would recommend is just to be clear about what you want, 
Um, keep in mind that when you're interviewing with these organizations, it could be the post office, it could be a government, private sector, um, or just um, like a startup company. You know, if you're a younger job seeker, they're, they're already aware that that's kind of what's important to you. So, um, you know, ask for the things that you want earlier on in the process, or, you know, just um, test for it by talking to some of the people that, that, you, that they have you interviewing with you know, asking them, you, you know, what's the company culture like, you know, I know that, you know, they have the, the posted company culture, but, you know, just um, realistically speaking, you know, what are the working hours? What do people typically do? How often are they on Slack? Um, you know, if you're, if you're going to be starting the role as a contractor, asking to speak to a contractor during the interview process, just making sure that you, you know, you're stepping into that Gen Z sort of this is my world persona where you're kind of interviewing the company back. And again, it's totally expected. We expect it from you. Um, and so, yeah. yeah that, that, that is one thing that I have seen that is a little bit different, even going from state to state. Um, I, I started off, um, well, I, I lived in Miami and working in like Miami, Fort Lauderdale and talking to people about uh, interviewing and things like that was a little bit different than when I moved out to Seattle and I started speaking to people there. It seemed like even region to region, the idea of work-life balance and, and as you said, interviewing the person that is interviewing you seems more prevalent out here. Um, is it something that each person really has to look at dependent on their region and also maybe even the change of time with COVID where before a lot of businesses maybe be would be more rigid and different things, but because of working at home and things like that, maybe it's more opening up more opportunities for businesses to have a little bit more of a relaxed environment, of course, specifically. Yeah, definitely. Um, all of the above. Um, the job market is completely different for someone in, say, you know, Florida versus a Seattle, right? Um, Seattle's more progressive. There's a lot more startups. People are more focused on their human capital, whereas some of the other states are just a little bit more slow and moving when it comes to um, new hires. Uh, however, that should mean nothing to you, to be honest with you. Um, that's why I do recommend a higher volume application strategy. So let's say you are that person that's in Florida. I would recommend that you're applying to anywhere from 10 to 15 roles every day, well, five days a week, taking two days off for mental health. Um, and I would uh, disperse the roles that you're applying to throughout the United States, even some overseas, if that's you know, what you're curious about, because you know, COVID has made it that you can work from home, um, just so that the dream role where it's the, a company that's super aligned, the people that you're speaking to, it's really easy to talk to them. You can kind of have like a natural cadence with them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That all comes to you while you're also interviewing with some of these other companies that aren't gonna be able to give you exactly what you're looking for. But because you're in conversations with them, you're still able to be optimistic, et cetera, while you know that, that those one or two offers that you're likely gonna accept, you're in the interview process with them as well. So, you know, all of that is really realistic, right? You know, Florida doesn't have as many roles as say as Seattle does, but that should not have anything to do with you still attacking or going after that dream role because it still will happen for you, so. Yeah, I see that also depending on the region and even just how you may have grown up does dictate how you would approach a job. Um, I have friends and I myself grew up in a, you know, working class um, home where a lot of times you were grown up uh, being told that you should be appreciative of 
a job, which of course, obviously in general, you should. But I think what was ended up being conveyed was the idea that you almost have to be thankful as if the person hiring you is doing you such a great service. And I think that what's happened is some people take that into negotiations and they almost look at it as if they have to plead and beg and be thankful for whatever they get. And on the other side, it's often a critique for uh, millennials, especially that they are entitled, that they want more before they've earned it. So how, how do you bridge that gap between the person who may feel like, hey, I don't wanna sound entitled because maybe I'm inexperienced, but I don't wanna be taken advantage of because I'm young. Yeah, and this is a, a really great topic. I could talk about that for a while. Um, so how you would bridge that gap is by getting the recruitment team and everyone that you speak to on your side where it's like it's, there's a partnership there. So, um, you know, once the recruiter or whoever is your, your point of contact, they bring up what you're looking for in terms of salary, um, you know, you could just, you could state it, you can have them state what their budget is, you know, whatever works best with your personality type. And then always be in partnership with that person. So you could say things like, hey, you know, I know, I hope I don't want this to make your job, you know, more difficult. Um, however, you know, this is what I'm looking for, for X, Y, Z reason. I usually share that the best X, Y, Z reason is just blame it on the market. So you could say something like, you know, um, this is what I'm being presented at, at these other companies, um, AKA like, this is what a recruiter is presenting me at to their clients, or, you know, this is what I'm being considered for with a few other with a few other opportunities. I like to use that language because you're not saying I have an offer right? You're just saying, this is what I'm being considered for. So whenever you can get the recruiter to partner with you, where you're acknowledging the fact that mm, it may take some wiggle room on their end, that's when the entitlement disappears. And it's just you kind of stating what you're looking for, blaming it on the fact that you're a high quality candidate. And, you know, there's some other companies that'll pay you a bit more, but you're open, you really are open to this opportunity. And you're just inviting them to come up and meet you with, with where you'd like to go. I know that there's a lot of people who wonder about making that first interview or even an interview after a while. Um, I've seen lately, especially with COVID where people were unemployed for a while and you would think that, hey, um, I just did an interview maybe six months ago, it should be no problem. But people are finding that's more difficult. Even some who maybe they got used to talking through you know, the phone or video chat. And then if they meet in person or, or close proximity to someone, it can be even more difficult, especially for younger people. There's more anxiety. There's more hesitance sometimes to even make eye contact, things like that. What advice do you give to people, especially younger people who are either it's their first interview or they're very still new at it, little techniques to be able to not, you know, off, be, seem off-putting? Yeah. Um, so there's a few strategies I employ. Um, first, you know, if, you, if it's gonna be a Zoom interview where they'll be able to see you, you can practice talking to the camera and um, ever, every so often looking back at the interviewer's face. Um, I like to practice anywhere from a 60-40 ratio of that. So 60% of the time, especially when I'm answering, looking at the camera and then anywhere from 30 to 40% looking at the interviewer's face, just so that you don't get tripped up by looking at them and, you know, taking in a bunch of information that's going to make you nervous. 
Um, and then also, I, I really like to recommend this uh, sticky note strategy that seems to work. So um, if you're someone that's more service oriented, uh, writing down on a sticky note or just kind of imagining the fact that this role was made for you and that if you don't take this role on, someone else isn't going to do it as well as you could. And, you know, because of that, the company will lose money or, you know, if this is a company that, you know, it's like a big dream, it's ethical or, you know, something along those lines, um, you could kind of really get behind the fact that your ego is allowing you to get in the way of being able to do amazing, really good, important work in the world. So writing down on a sticky note, um, you know, don't let my nervousness get in the way of, you know, helping people or helping others or, you know, don't, don't not allowing this company to lose money. Any sort of um, version of that can sometimes help with a service-oriented person. Um, also, I found another um, type of sticky note that's worked has been, uh, so especially now with COVID, everyone has, has something happening in their family or a lot of people have. Mm -hmm. And um, for founders or HR or recruiters or even a team member, when you're interviewing with them, nine times out of 10, they, have, they had two other interviews that day or they're hyped up on coffee, they're nervous to get on the phone with you or they're kind of, um, it's like a fire at work. So they only have 30 minutes or an hour to talk to you. So if you can create a sticky note where you're reminding yourself that this, this person is probably, it's crazy in their world. And um, what can I do to make them happier having spoken to me, that helps. And so when you, when you look down at that, maybe a conscious mind, it doesn't really register, but I found that you calm down and you don't start the call with this nervous energy. You start the call with this, I'm focused on the other person energy. So it, it may not translate to anything even in the, this sounds silly, but in the physical realm, but what will happen is that you'll talk less you know what I mean? There'll be more pauses. You won't have that frantic energy and the interviewer will feel it. And they'll just breathe a sigh of relief. Like, okay, goodness, good. This isn't like another interview. I don't have to spend five minutes making this person less nervous, et cetera, et cetera. So those three strategies seem to work right now. I think that <clears throat> what happens is a lot of times people forget that the other person you're talking to is just like you. I guess sometimes that people think that the person that they're talking to since they're in a hiring position is such a high above them that they're worried about being able to like talk to them like a human being. Mm -hmm. And I, I see that's important to do that. And also the same with networking. Um, I know that that can be hard because a lot of people, they'll get online, they're used to social media, but that can often be in itself difficult to navigate because if you're using social media for you know sports following celebrities just having fun and then all of a sudden you have to also network they may have trouble doing that and i know it's less personal networking now with covid but before i know a lot of younger people just had a lot of trouble networking because they either feel as if they're bothering someone trying to get either advice from someone that's experienced and, and, and have been in the industry, whatever they're looking for, and then not feeling as if they're engaging enough. Like, should I continue to message this person just to, you know, pick their brain to keep that networking going? So not a lot of people know how to get that started and how to maintain a good networking relationship. Could you give us some tips on that? 
Yeah, yeah, I love this topic. So there are a few different personas and personality types. So for example, if you're targeting corporate positions, you're in finance or something, um, networking will kind of veer on what networking has always been, more, a little bit more so than, you know, another set of person or people that are maybe targeting tech, startups, you know, or creatives. Um, but, you know, in both instances, I would love everyone to remember that kind of just throw out the word network and instead think about it as I'm making it's I'm making a friend, right? Without like cringing. I'm right. making friends online. <laughs> Cause that's, I swear to God, that's what it is. Uh, my first mentor told me that she changed my life and I grew up in a sales environment. So just trust me, like this actually works. Um, so you're making friends. And um, I know a lot of career coaches, you know, talk about, you know, trying to build a relationship first and like asking them questions. But the thing is, is that, especially if you're in a job search, sometimes, unfortunately, and, or fortunately, you don't really care about that stuff, right? Like the person that you're reaching out to, you admire in some way and you respect in some way and you see value from them. But I don't know if you would be asking about personal things to them if you had a choice, right? right. So when I, when I describe, when uh, the strategy that we employ is to be ridiculously authentic, especially if you're a Gen Z or a millennial, just get to the point. And so, you know, we also um, employ like a, a high volume strategy too, and also um, um, look at the data. So maybe you can reach out to two people a day. Um, and uh, a lot of the places that work for my clients are Facebook groups or Slack channels. So if you're in tech, maybe like an AWS Slack channel or any of those other Slack channels where it's really easy to make friends and to jump on projects with each other and just to kind of quote unquote network. And if you're not in tech, um, Facebook is just really gold for that where there's, you know, data scientists of San Francisco or, you know, um, Asian Filipinos in tech or something like that where it's groups of 3000 people that are like so helpful. Um, and so when you're in those spaces, people are really friendly. As long as the question that you're asking is straight to the point where it's like, hey, I'm in a boot camp. Does anybody have five minutes to just check over my resume? Does anyone have five minutes to look over my portfolio? Does anyone have five minutes to jump on a call? I'm trying to figure out if I should be a data scientist or a data analyst. People will help. Um, alternatively, if you're heavy in your job search and you're looking for a referral, um, you know, that's when maybe reaching out to folks on LinkedIn is quicker. You could get your, your ask quicker. And so you'd want to just maybe have one or two sentences where you're talking, you're talking about why you even message this person. So it could be, Hey, XYZ, I came across your profile on LinkedIn and I'm super impressed by your work. I saw that you were at XYZ, you did XYZ. And, um, you know, I'm really, you wouldn't use grateful, but something like, I'm really grateful that I came across your profile. If you have maybe five minutes or so this week, I'd love to just get on a call with you and just ask you a little bit more about how you created your career, just, you know, whatever, something like that. And um, if you're doing that with, you know, two people a day, you're going to get some phone calls. And that's when, you know, you wouldn't ask for the referral on those calls, but if you're keeping it real on the call, you're not wasting their time. You're not asking them questions you found online. You know, you're asking them questions that you really care about. Nine times out of 10, they're going to say, yeah, we'd love to refer you. Um, let me know whenever you're, you know, interested, I'll push your resume forward. 
So, so the key takeaways here are to throw out the word network. It's not networking, it's making friends with strangers. Um, strangers and acquaintances can be even more helpful than the people you know, because the people you know feel a sense of pressure and they kind of know you and they don't want to put your name attached, but strangers and acquaintances will go above and beyond for you. And then to get in these communities where everyone everyone in the community are professionals and they're all helping each other out anyway. And um, three, practice a high volume approach. So my next question is, I'm not sure how much career coach go into it. Probably there is though, because a lot of people who either are thinking about starting college or maybe due to COVID, they're thinking about starting a different type of career. A lot of times what ends up happening is, especially with you know, the debate over how much stu uh, student loans are. A lot of people keep talking about worthless degrees. And the idea is, is that whenever you go to college or whenever you're thinking about making your next career choice, that it's always going to be based on how much maximum money you can have. But there are a lot more people nowadays who are realizing that I may like something else. I may want to own a little shop or I may want to work for a small nonprofit um, obviously they're going to make sure that they have enough for their cost of living, but sometimes that can be hard to navigate when most of your life, especially when you're young, you're told about making as much money as possible, starting a family and then continuing on with the life uh, script. When you go off that, how would you recommend someone to approach the idea that, hey, I may not be going for the most top of the line corporate career, but I'm going for something I love and something that'll just make me happy if not rich and wealthy. Okay, and so just so I'm clear, so the question is how do they um, speak to this with other people that may judge them for it? Or yeah, Yes, like what would be, I guess, the thought process that you would help someone go through to make that kind of a decision to take a job that maybe isn't you know, the top, what they were told that they should do, but something more that they would love? Yeah. So when you're in your 20s, your job is to get as much knowledge as possible to be able to make an educated decision when, when you're in your 30s, in my opinion. Um, you know, and, and I'll be honest, um, the, move, the world is moving faster now. So maybe you can even say when you're in your tween, uh, teens up until about 23 to be able to, you know, have a few failures around 23 to 24. 26 and then around like the 24 to 26 to kind of settle in and to choose and to commit to something for a while and then for the rest of your life you can you can transfer you can segue you can pivot you can do so many things um so so you know when you're in this early period you can be money motivated um but I found that you don't have to be I, I would be taking jobs that's going to add to my um skill level and add to my breadth of knowledge. So what don't I know how to do? I'm crap at talking to people. Okay, let me get a job where I'm going to be client facing a lot or customer facing a lot, you know, or if it's the opposite, do the opposite. And then you have all of this internal knowledge. You're getting confidence because you're getting better at things. You're believing in yourself. You're hopefully getting on calls with people that can, you know, end up being a mentor. You're surrounding yourself with other like really ambitious or purpose-driven ethical people and things, you know, in my opinion, I found kind of fall into place. Um, also, I invite you to invest as well. Um, so that may be um, 
you know, investing in a certification, even if you don't know if that's what you want to end up doing. I've done that before. Um, and it's okay to lose money on these things because that's kind of the point you want to try things. Um, because, you know, some of the people that had that pressure, for example, the do doctors, lawyers, accountants, I'm finding a lot of them now are, are finishing up their 20s or they're 26 and they're coming to people like me to reinvent their career because they're deeply unhappy and they did everything right. And, you know, and so now they're ready to kind of to go towards their dreams. So, um, so hopefully that answered that question. But that's, I guess that's the advice that I would give. No, that, that definitely makes sense uh, because, and you did, because there's a lot of people out there who, like I had a friend of mine that says, you know, I really like comic books. I'd like to work at a comic book shop. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously, you know, maybe depending on what kind of a shop that may not pay enough to get your cost of living. But like you said, if you combine other things, if you attach it with other skills, then maybe you can find a way to make that work. But in the end, that person really wanted to be happy. Um, my last question though had to go maybe for someone who's also looking to make that quicker ascent. Um, back in the day, like maybe 50 years ago, like my, my mom would tell me about how it was really important to stay at a job. Like her idea was you're there, that the people, the corporation will respect you, you'll make money. And then even if you do have to find a new job, the next job will be appreciative that you've been at this job for a long time. However, for the younger generation, it's more kind of like a free agent in the NBA, where you think of yourself as a superstar, like a LeBron James, and you're confident in yourself and you feel that, hey, if I can't get the contract I want at this job, I'm going to go to this one, even if I'm bouncing around every year or so. And a lot of people feel that because wages are so stagnant, that the only way you can really make a jump if you're not high up in the corporate world is to jump from job to job because maybe you might get 20, 30, 50 cents raised between two years. But if you leave a job and go to another one as a new person, they may give you a $2 raise. So would you tell someone that, especially if they're young and they're still kind of finding themselves, is it better to be the free agent person who jumps around lots of different jobs or to settle into one job and see how long you could stay there? Okay, so I do have a stance on this and I was born in the 80s. Um, so just as someone who hires young people, um, I do recommend that early on your first two positions, it would be nice to see some career stability. And um, not only will it help your self-esteem uh, feeling, you know, you're, you're just gonna develop so much when you can sit still at a company for two years. Um, but it's, it's gonna pay off leaps and bounds. And, you know, there will be a time when you can make a ridiculous amount of money. Like my younger brother, he, like, you guys can make so much money. So, so the money will come, um, but I, I really do see value just on the job market. And even people that are older than me, when, when we're hiring younger folks and just talking to founders, there still is value in, okay, well, this young person, stayed for two years and the next role they stayed for two years and we see career progression and it's invaluable because you can't purchase that. And there's so many young people out here that are kind of new, um, 
new agents, right? And the thing is, is that as an employer, when we're looking at your resume and we're seeing all of these, we call them short stints, we don't know why, we just know what you tell us and we know what your references tell us. So, you know, there's always gonna be this, hmm, I wonder why aspect. And, you know, the caveat is that a lot of founders, a lot of tech startups or people that operate like a startup, really progressive companies, all, you know, all the new companies that are of the new state of mind, they will still want to hear your story. You know, you can take a sabbatical for two years, travel, do a bunch of things and come back and share that story and be extremely hireable. However, I really do see there being benefit to sitting still at two companies initially for two years. Um, or, you know, if you, if you really can't do it, that first company, let's just at least stay there for two years. And then the next one, let's give them a solid year. It would be nice to see a year and a half. And then after that, you have at least a good enough breadth of knowledge and just, you know, I've seen the company through the bumps and whatever I've learned enough to be able to jump around into different environments. And this is, again, someone who's a millennial, you know, I guess an older millennial, but um, just hearing what people talk about at some of these companies that, you know, are pretty impressive. We would really love to see that. So that's my stance on it. And I'm sorry, I did lie a little bit. I did have one oh. more question. I just thought of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, due to COVID just overall, what do you see might be permanent changing changes in the hiring and job searching um, environment because of what's happened with COVID? Oh, I see. It's gonna. I think it's gonna be amazing. Um, so for it's. Um, so companies will uh, continue to place an emphasis on friend of a friend, acquaintance, sort of like. So any networking activity you're doing now, you'd you'd have to do it ten times more since COVID for lots of reasons. Um, and so now it's. I think it's even more so. So you, gone are the days when you can just apply to a company and expect to get an interview. You kind of have to like message the recruiter and do a bunch of things. Um, hmm. and, and, you know, for people that want to pivot their career where COVID kind of had you look internally, like this isn't making me happy anymore. I want to do this. You can do that. Like you can work with a career coach to, to, to tell that story in an interview, to tell it on your resume and on your LinkedIn and to interview into that role. Um, also, you know, I, I guess if we think about some of the negatives, onboarding will be a little bit different. You know, you won't have that face-to-face. -face. A lot of company retreats and things like that are just kind of just virtual now. But um, for a job seeker, for someone that's pursuing passion and fulfillment, it's gold. So now is just a great time to really go in on that big dream of yours. That's really interesting. I, I love reading about the different changes because it seems like there's a lot of things accelerated um, because of COVID. And obviously, you know, we wish we never had to go through anything like this, but it is interesting to look at the positives that can come from something that's terrible. And, you know, the work in home is just one of those things I've seen, you know, in, in my jobs where back in the day, a lot of companies really felt, you know, wary about having people work from home and now it's accepted because there's enough data to see that, hey, people still work. I mean, they may be wearing their pajamas or whatever, but they get their work done and productivity is actually up in, in, in many sectors. So it's good to see that, you know, some of these positives, 
positive changes are happening. Uh, where can people go to find out more about you and your work? Yeah, um, Career Coach Steph on Instagram. That's where I hang out the most. Um, and if you want to send me a friend request on LinkedIn, it's just Stephanie Heath. Okay, well, thank you so much, Stephanie, for coming on and talking with us today. Yeah, this was so pleasant. I, I love to come back. I love talking to millennials and Gen Zs about their job search. So I hope you invite me back and I hope you have a, a really great day. Fighting for what you want is not being entitled. It is a right and something everyone should be doing. Whether they are just starting out on their first job or making a career shift late in life. It is not just about knowing your skills and education, but also the strength of your self-worth. Nobody should hate their job and dread doing it. By understanding the job market and how to negotiate, anyone can find their dream job. It's never too late. Complacency can lead to exploitation, but vigilance can lead to total satisfaction. I'm Jay LaRock. Thanks for listening.